Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Bodak. I'm here with Maxine Beda. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Josh? I'm very good. And the listeners don't know that in between last time and now, major changes have happened. You're in a new, whole new place. Yes. So we've emailed about that because we just rescheduled on things. And I try to avoid hearing what happened with respect to the commitment because I don't want to know any more than the listeners do. And oh, I think also, I think I told you, I don't know what the protocol is here. Okay. That your name came up of people who've read your book and people who have come across you as influential. And then I want to tell you that, but then the natural question was, well, who? But I didn't remember who. <laughs> and I think it's better to tell you, even though I can't tell you what you really want to know. So, than not to tell you. But the listeners should know that like, if they haven't already read it <laughs> and started following you, then to do so. <laughs> because now I'm big and important. <laughs> yeah. And uh, can you remind us what motivated you? Like, what does the environment mean to you that, and what did you commit to? So my commitment was to start composting my food. Mm -hmm. That was the big commitment. Do you remember where that came from? What was driving it? Because I, my job is, you know, about thinking about systems change. And I, you know, most of it is happening on like a bigger policy level, but I had increasingly felt uncomfortable with my own you know, I, I preached more on a policy level than what I felt I was doing in my own life. And that was always something that I'd wanted to be working on. And so composting felt like a, a very meaty place. To <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. So if, if you didn't like, I'm not sure if this is the right word, but the abstractness or the, the systemic level, but not the personal, do you remember what motivated you? So if you compost, so what does that connect with? Well, it makes, I think like, I, you know, I still believe we need to have like systemic changes. I haven't moved away from that belief, but I think that living one's own life in the way in which you would like to see the the whole system change is like, just feels better. Like it felt like it feels inconsistent with my values to, you know, do things like not compost or thoughtlessly consume. So that was an important to me is like being on this journey to align my my own life with the way in which I hope like we can all be moving towards. I'm going to delay asking you about how things went because now I want to, you said that it feels good and I would go further to say that it's essential to live by the, it's virtually impossible. I think to lead someone else to do something that you yourself are not doing. Oh, for sure. So when people in this whole debate of like, do individual actions matter to me, the big question is not what one person's individual contributions are, although that does matter, but how much we influence others. That's way, that magnifies effect by a lot more. Yeah. And if we don't live by the values that we want others to live by, that we believe that they will enjoy living by, I think we've abdicated our ability. I think we've lost our ability to influence them. So I completely agree. it's like a, a table stakes. It's, it, you can't, if you don't do it, you're, you're still in the water. You're stuck. I agree. Some, I think, might say it's overstating it because they would say what, what you do actually doesn't matter no matter what. I disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that, like, you know, a lot of the work that, you know, I do in my job is about, like, shifting companies, right? It's not focused. I mean, we do talk about, like, individual, like, shopping, like, for clothes, which I have shifted already, that, that way of consuming. But, like, I understand from a corporate level 
that from an individual level and a corporate level, change itself is scary in the beginning, right? It's like uncertain, not scary, uncertain. And people fear uncertainty. And so they don't do the thing. And so if I'm not showing that I personally have not leaning into the uncertainty of how does one do things and change the ways of being, I think it it does make it, you know, much less convincing as a person to then just expect industry and people within industry to accept uncertainty and to lean into it. Yeah, uncertainty. Yeah, you said scared and then went back to fear, but I guess there's that middle step of the uncertainty and the risk. And I think there's another element too that I'm going to add to it is the challenges of say not flying. It's very easy not to fly, right? Most people like you're not flying right now. I'm not flying right now. It's not very hard not to fly. The challenge is not how to not get into an airplane. It's what happens when family is like, you have to come to this reunion. What happens when you feel like you're going to lose your job if you don't? And these problems are solvable. But if you don't face them, you don't realize what the real challenges are. What the actual challenge is not, don't fly. It's what about all these pressures and, and all the stuff, the stuff to face. And like you see all the Instagram feeds of, of the beautiful locations and you think, oh, I got to go to those places. How do we... Now, for me, I find the places near me that are equally beautiful. Even on Manhattan, there's beauty just as much as any place else. And only by doing it do we learn how to overcome those things. If you want to build muscles by going to the gym, the challenge is not what weights should I lift and how much. It's what I do when I'm injured. What I do when my friends, when I'm tired. When my friends invite me to something else, do I stick with it? Absolutely. What happens when I move across the country? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I just let on. So what? So you said you were going to start composting. Yes. And then big changes happen in life. Yes. So I said I was going to start composting and I was living in Brooklyn with a young kid and a husband. And I found that to be very challenging. The compost site was a mile away by foot, of course. And it was only open on the weekend. And I noticed that, and we live in a very small apartment. And in thinking about food composting, then you get into food waste. You notice it a lot more. And I just couldn't come up with a system in which, like it also, because I live with other people, I'm not in control of how much food comes into the house. And so it was like, all of those questions, as you were talking about before, it's not like the composting isn't the thing. It's all the questions that it raises in getting to that, to that goal were really important ones that I could start, you know, speaking to my husband about like, about our food waste and, you know, let's be more thoughtful about like what we're purchasing and, and making sure that we're consuming it. And if we don't, then like, let's limit it. And so that was like, good starting steps, I think. And, you know, we both kind of got on board to um, wanting to be more mindful about the food that we were purchasing. And like, I have to admit, I was like relying a lot on food delivery. (laughs) So I then like, I started to research. Now I'm forgetting the name of the company that I did start to use. I started a, to try to find, to like cook more at home But then also when I did do delivery, I'm blanking on the name, but they deliver the containers and then they take the containers back. Uh Like Loop or... It's not Loop. Loop is for products. Yeah. I forget the name of it. I should look it up because it is good as like an alternative, as like an 
you know, as we're trying to think more thoughtfully about these things. And that already felt like a good step in the right direction because like it is awful the amount of packaging that I was consuming from food delivery. Like all of these kind of questions that started to get raised, like I felt very challenged in where we were living. And I just, I felt that Brooklyn like just felt, I mean, I've, I'd lived in New York for 20 years. I'm not saying I'm not going back, (laughs) but I'd wanted to see like in leaning into sustainability, like what, what would it feel like to like to slow down like in the place that like we lived because New York has a lot of energy around it, which has been great. But I felt like I was having a challenge, like slowing down within that. And so when the opportunity came to move to Minnesota, which is where I'm from originally, I wanted to take it at least for a year to just see what it's like to be in nature and like how my own, like as somebody who's yeah only lived in New York, my adult life, like how my mind would change, my body would change and knowing things like composting, which is now the city does. So it's like, makes it incredibly easy to do (laughs) was just so easy has been something like that has been great so far. How much did the commitment to composting? It sounds like a lot of this was going on in life. Anyway, these considerations did the composting just fit in with something, other things that were happening in general, or did it, did it bring things to a head? It's hard to know. Like it definitely was like, it definitely was a factor in it. Like, I don't know what percentage I would give it, but it was definitely like, I wanted to slow down and I want, I like wanted this opportunity to, yeah, like live more mindfully and like composting was that, you know, thing that we had identified together as like the thing, you know, as that kind of marquee thing. And, you know, I definitely remember thinking like, oh, well, the city like compost. So they do like curbside collection. So I've solved, you know, I can solve that one. It was definitely like an instigating factor for sure. Because I'm partly thinking if it's dramatically improved your life or taken you in a direction that you really like, I'm thinking, can the sustainable life take credit for sparking something? I think you get to take partial credit. (laughs) (laughs) And should a listener hearing this think, maybe I shouldn't, take a commitment on myself because I'm, I'm not ready for such a big change. Or should they think, even if they're not ready for a big change, should they still consider it, even if it points them to questioning some deep things, such as where they live or something on that scale? Like, should, should they feel more encouraged or less encouraged as a result of what you've done? More encouraged, I think. You know, I think it's like, it was part of the journey of like asking these like bigger questions and it's not like not everybody's in a position to move. Not everybody wants to move. I'm not saying like moving is the only way to, to make these things happen by any means, but it was my way or like part of my journey into this. So it is one means of doing it, but I think everybody can have a path in and like, it was more just understanding, like help me understand myself more in the same way that you're talking about flying. Like it helps you. It's not the flying. It's the like, well, what is like, well, then I have to negotiate my family and like all of, you know, all of those things. So it just started off a whole other series of questions and I still fly. And I think, I think there may be a lot of people out there who don't want to act because if it's too small, it's not worth doing. There's a lot of people who think that, but then they also think they're not ready for a big change. And they recognize 
they're polluting a lot. The average American, if they're anywhere remotely close to the average American, they're way over the top. And I think that they realize that and they don't want to, but ugh, I don't want to change everything. And I think that once they start, they'll wish they had started earlier. Yeah. I think it's changing the one thing like, you know, and then that leads, as you were talking about, then it leads to like just further thinking, but you don't have to like, I think if I had started like, I'm going to move and then I'm going to like, that's going to slow, like, then I'll slow down. Like I would, I'm like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it, you know, I think it's more like make that commitment to one thing. And then you, you know, you see from there and like, none of what I'm doing at all, I'm not like, this is not a sacrifice. This is like very much for my like own mental health. So it's not, yeah. I think that's also just an important framing is like, you don't have to frame it as like, oh, this terrible thing to have to do. Like it feels very good to do, to live within one's own, like, or not live with, I'm not, I am very far from perfect. I still shop at Amazon, like, <laughs> but on, like being on that journey, like trying to be more mindful, like feels better than not trying to be mindful. Yeah. I described it as I thought I made this up, but apparently it's not, I didn't make it up, but a shift from have to, to get to. Yeah. No, absolutely. So let's go back to your your experience. In Brooklyn, were you able to compost at all after then, or did it not kick in until you're where you are now in Minnesota? Yeah. Because then I was like, I think we were discussing moving. And then I was like, so do I get a compost bin? But like I couldn't put it in the freezer because we already have frozen vegetables in the freezer because that is what our child survives on. And like we just are three people and the food, like we just couldn't put it. I did like, didn't know where to put it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I was like, so I'm going to buy this whole other big thing like to put on our counter and then we're going to move. And then we like, then that thing will be waste. So why would I do that? Like, and so I forgave myself and, uh, and did not end up composting at all in, in Brooklyn, to be honest. Now, I'm very curious about the move, but I'm going to skip all those and just ask all all the questions there and just ask, what's your experience of collecting food scraps and composting now? Oh, it's like very easy. And I think what's great about it. Also, the other thing that I find interesting is I was living in a big building, right? And you just like put your garbage down the chute and put the recycling and then it's like taken away magically and you never see it and you don't have to take your garbage out Mm because... It's just down the hall and being back in a house where the, where your stuff is collected every week, I'm much more in touch. Like, and again, I have not lived in outside of New York. Like I've not put the trash out in 20 years. So like, it's much easier to be aware of just the accumulation of the, you know, of the trash and recycling and the food scraps because you own, like you interact with it on a weekly basis when you put it out to the curb. And so I think that even that like mindfulness has been helpful just to see like the ratio of trash to recycling to food compost that has like, that has been really interesting. And and I think helpful, like for us to just, yeah, be more mindful of like what it is we're consuming and then what it is worth getting rid of. Can you explain a bit more? Cause some people might be thinking, I don't want to be more in touch with my garbage. The point of society of progress is to get it away from me. And now you're saying being more in touch with it. I have 
been to too many places where I see where our garbage goes that I just fundamentally don't have that like relationship. Like, yes, I don't think the point of modern society, it has been an outcome of modern society, but I don't think it's a particularly healthy one that it's become so out of sight, out of mind, because I'm definitely not the first one to say this. There is no away. Like, and I have been to the landfills. I have been, you know, I've been to the places where our clothing goes when it goes to die. So like, I, I'm just intimately aware that there is no away there. And so I do think having to face our waste as somebody who is like, I am prone to persuasion and consumption. Like, yeah, I'm still a persuadable person that it's very helpful for me to be reminded. Like it's, it's the same thing, you know, with like, I don't know, being healthy and maintaining a weight or something. That's like, that's your stepping on the scale. That's your like moment to see, you know, I wish there was a better parallel because that's an unhealthy relationship a lot of times, but like, that's your way to check in with like, where are you on your consumption? And so I do think it is important to become more familiar with it. What's been your emotional experience of this whole, of not just the one you're putting the food scraps out or collecting them, but from the beginning of when you committed to it, I mean, you talked about the thought processes and the, and you alluded to the discussions with your husband. What was the emotional journey from the beginning until through Brooklyn, collecting for scraps now? Well, I mean, listen, it's been a journey for me because I have been, I've been not working with my food waste, but I've been working on sustainability issues for, you know, for my career for a while. So I think our conversation was like the real kickoff point, like the thought had been in the, you know, in the back of my mind of like wanting to make more personal change. I think it's been a combination of things like feeling good about the progress that I've been able to, you know, we've, we as a family have been able to make, but like, again, I'm not, I am not perfect on this journey and just like not getting laden with guilt about that, but trying to just use that as like, as motivation to get to make improvements versus getting too like getting too weighed down in guilt. Because like I have, you know, for, I have, my husband is from Switzerland and my sisters live all in different places across the country. And my mother lives in Florida. Like it's a, like, I haven't figured out my flying thing, you know, like it, all of these, I know that it's a, like it, a journey. It's such an overly used word, but a journey to figure these things out. And so I'm like, just trying to be excited with the progress that I have made and sort of lean into kind of new areas. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe it in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. This sounds like what we were talking about before of the challenge of, of not flying is not how to not get in a plane, a plane, but how to manage family relationships, how to, and it sounds like this is, when you say this motivated you, and when you said felt good, is it happy? Is it, 
excited? Is it enthusiastic? Is it? It's like content. <laughs> uh, satisfied, content. content, content. Yeah, like good. I, there's, I think it's the best word for it. It's not. Ha- I'm not like yay. <laughs> like, I think there's a like fulfilled. That's the, the better word. Fulfilled. Like it feels like oh, I feel like better. Yeah, I feel just better about. Maybe it's like feeling less like personal conflict. So when you say you're looking into other areas, are you, I'm reading and tell me if I'm misreading that you anticipate there's a good feeling on the other side of handling the flying or the Amazon buying. Flying is not going to be the next thing that I, I tackle. I'll probably try to tackle my relationship with Amazon. <laughs> and is it that you expect that for whatever challenge you start off with, that you'll have this fulfilled feeling afterward? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> Hopefully I will accomplish, you know, each one. I mean, and I like, I don't think it's going to like the compost was pretty, very discreet task. Like now I am in new place, new place has composting done. So like others are more like behavior shifts that, you, you know, like the gym thing, like, so I think those will be there won't be like, oh, I'm done now. I've finished that one. It'll, you know, just be things that I'm trying to be more mindful of and like do less of and be more considered about it. Yeah. I mean, I started with food and that led me to flying and that led me to all the picking up litter and things like that. And some people describe me as extreme, but each thing led to the next. Yeah. And it didn't lead to the next just in like, it led each thing, however hard, made me feel good. Yeah. In different ways. And I expected that the next thing, if a little thing made me a little, made me feel a little good, I anticipated a big thing would make me feel a lot good. So that, then I went for the big things and it worked out. It worked out. <laughs> Usually when someone says, oh, that's extreme. I, my, my thought is like extremely fun. Yeah. <laughs> no one ever says, oh, you're extremely fun. Like you're having some, like, Maybe should. <laughs> yeah. And well, that's, I mean, the main point of the show is if you go on my webpage, it says my mission is to change American and global culture to not expect it's going to be a horror show, but it's going to be joy. For me, it was joy, fun, and freedom primarily. Yeah. And different people get different things. Sometimes it's more playfulness or more fulfillment or yeah. you know, more time with family. But it's never, I, I'm sorry, I can't speak, I don't want to overstate it. In my case, it, it hasn't been burden or chore, even though I thought it yeah. would be, or deprivation. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I completely agree with that. I'm now trying to remember the name of the book that I've also, I also read during, sorry, that I also read during this time. I'm trying. So her, if oh, her yeah. voice is quiet, it's because she's going back sorry. to her bookshelf away from the microphone <laughs> to find the book that she's talking about. <laughs> the Day the World Stops Shopping. I read that during this time. Oh, yeah. And that, like, it covers, like, some of similar themes to unravel to my book, but it, it definitely was like a great book to read, like in thinking about these things and like thinking about like, what is that place we want, want to get to? Yeah. It's, it, apparently the book is up for some big award now. And I'm, I'm actually in the middle of his first book, which is the hundred mile diet, mm. which how did I not read it before? But uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely getting me thinking about a lot of things. And actually I'm with what you've written, this may be too probing a question, but with what you wrote about clothing, how much of that translated, how did that not translate into buying from Amazon already or? Oh, it, it did like, and I, it definitely, like I wrote a whole chapter about how terrible it is to work at Amazon mm-hmm. and like a whole book is about overconsumption. So 
it definitely like did. I think it's also, I have grown up in a very like, and I, you know, we all have busy lives, like in a very instant gratification, like I've grown up in an Amazon world where like instant gratification has been there. So it's, it's kind of like, I got the theory down first and then it's like, okay, now I have to apply that theory into my, my own life. And so, yeah, like I, every, like anytime I've hit buy on Amazon, I like don't feel amazing about it, (laughs) but it's something that like, I think especially in New York, just like got in a habit of, I got in a habit of doing that before I like, you know, was conscious of the impact that it had. And then, you know, now it's like in the journey, it's like, okay, now I'm very highly conscious of the impact that it has. And now like, I have to go back and work on myself to see, you know, what I can do to, to change that, like my own relationship with it. Well, I hope to have you back sometime in the future as the relationship evolves with other places. You're like my, like a sustainability coach and you have to be accountable. (laughs) I very much felt that. I was like, I know I'm going to go on Josh's podcast. If I don't have this figured out, like that will be terrible. (laughs) So that's, that's been a good, bad cop. uh, uh, Thank you. (laughs) I also want, I mean, before I started this podcast, I'd already been through some major changes. And I think that a lot of people see me, what I've done is like beyond what they can do. And I try to bring, I mean, I want, I bring leaders on because I think that they are comfortable, more comfortable than most sharing their flaws, yep. which we all yeah. have. And I think that makes it more accessible. I think that to tell people that hundred million people in Bangladesh are going to be displaced if we don't change our behavior, that's really big, Yeah, but it's generally distant. I mean, it's literally distant, but if, if, if I'm not from Bangladesh and I've never been there, then those are just numbers. Right. It doesn't feel real. Yeah. And, but then to hear someone trying and this works, but that doesn't, and they figure it out. That I think, I believe that that's the type of role modeling that would have been effective for me. That would. Oh, definitely. I want to, make, I want to bring people Roger Bannisters, you know, four minute mile, impossible. Then he does it, and then all, all these other people do it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I definitely applaud that, that philosophy and that strategy because I do think, like, you know, in the same way that I get to advise people about, you know, especially women, especially young women who are targeted the most about clothing consumption, just like, the very, very practical things of what you can do to like reduce your shop, like clothing consumption. All of those things I think are incredibly meaningful to get to the very, just like the practical of all of these things, because that I think, yeah, as you were saying, like we can have these grand visions, but in any behavior, like you have to have a plan. <laughs> um, it has to be a workable plan because that's the only way the behavior shifts. You talk about your your husband and child how did it affect relationships? Did, were there, was there any, did this increase stress or decrease it? And how about relationships beyond? No, I think, I mean, my daughter is two and a half, so she was unaware of any of these discussions. She luckily enjoys any, pretty much any of the food that is put in front of her and is a good eater. So we don't, she doesn't waste a lot. It's great. But I do think like it, it felt really good. I, I think the conversations that I've been having with my husband, because I realized that, you know, I, do my work. And I, you know, wrote this book and I do, you know, work for a new standard Institute that is all about these bigger issues. And I wasn't having the conversations at home. And so it, it, it has been nice to, you know, again, that like fulfillment feeling, right. It felt building a deeper, more meaningful relationship with 
um, my husband, you know, because we're on this like common project together and not to say like, he's not perfect either. Sometimes I'm like, could you please be more thoughtful about like what we are bringing in the house? So it's not like all hunky dory all the time. Um, but it has, you know, it has been like a very good thing that we, we feel like we're on a common, yeah, a common project together. Did you expect that? Did you know it would work out or was it possible that it might've been, there might've been fights that came out of it? I didn't know that going in. So it's not like we don't work together, you know, I don't think we would choose to work, to work together for like, we, we don't necessarily like have the same way of approaching things on all things. So I didn't know how it would go in it. Like, I think it, yeah, it's been really, really nice to see that he's as interested and excited to, to be working on this stuff. You know, you're making me think of, I only started composting late and it was my, we grew up with a garden. So I don't think we really thought about it. We just throw it into heat. I didn't think it was composting. Yeah. Now that I'm doing it as an adult, it's, I don't know how to describe it's, I describe it as like oddly fun. There's something satisfying about putting it into a different container and that my garbage now, I just use a, um, a canvas bag because there's nothing wet that goes in it. It doesn't rot. It's just dry things. And the stuff that rots, I, and then I take it to the farmer's market and I get to see whatever else has been eating. (laughs) Yeah. But what do you mean? Like, what do you do with an apple core? What do you mean? It's all dry. I'll describe why I'm, I'm struggling to say usual. What I normally do is I have a bowl on my countertop and I just throw stuff yes. in there. Then when yeah. that fills up, I put it in a bag that's in my freezer. And when that fills up, I walk to the farmer's market, which is for me three quarters of a mile away. And I, I mean, I always walk every day, so I don't go there every day, but I don't go there every day, but I do. I mean, I have to go pick up litter every day. So I have to get outside every day. And I just take it and I drop it off into big garbage bags that they have that get hauled off to an industrial composting site. Yeah. And the city, New York City is restarting composting. Yes. And I did write in to, for my building to do it, but it's not yet in my area. Eventually it'll be, I can just, hopefully it'll be the little brown bin in the basement. I can just put it in there yeah. and it'll be hauled off. When yeah. I drop it off in the garbage cans, there's all sorts of other people's garbage there. <laughs> or not garbage, uh, food scraps. So I get to see whatever, yeah. uh, what other people are eating. I say this because every now and then I'll talk to someone and... Every conversation I've ever had over compost is an enjoyable conversation because yes. we're two people who've been freezing our, our food scraps, walking <laughs> to take it somewhere. You know, it's not, we're, we're, there's some passion in there and we see what we've been eating. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because like, you know, there is such a movement, again, targeted a lot at women of like, of mindfulness and meditation and not just that, like a lot of products sold around that too and like self-care. And I have a lot of conversations with my friend, Jennifer, who helped me with the book as well. And she, she has been working on these things. And so much of this, like the composting and, and that feeling is a, not meditative, but like, is that self-care, right? It's like that actually being more connected to the, to our world, which just like, you know, there's been tons of psychology research on how that actually makes us happier. And so like it, it really, I can't stress how it's not like a sacrifice. It's a reframing, but it's like, just, yeah, like feels in the moments, you know, like there, it gives you moments of real sort of deep fulfillment. Yeah. It's like connection. It's here's how I I frame it is that a lot of people say like food is medicine or this is, this is um, refreshing. Now, I'm going to say something that's logically the same, but has a different feel to me, which is that 
I view this as normal and not this is distancing ourselves. Like it's not that when someone says eating vegetables is healthy, I think eating vegetables that were supposed to be healthy, not eating yeah. vegetables is sickening. Not yeah. composting is distancing ourselves from our world, disconnecting us from the nature that sustains us. Yep. Everyone's free to def- define normal how they want, but to define composting as normal to me makes it more easier to do. And as opposed, and the motivation changes. Yeah. And I think that like also in these things, and that's something I don't know, I've learned from the book is like taking the lens of history We've been so trained to believe that the way in which we exist right now is like the only inevitable way of the future and and that somehow like no alternative can exist. And, you know, if you speak to a historian, they'll laugh at that because it's like what we exist, like the way in which we exist today is like a blip in a tiny blip. It's having dramatic consequences for the whole future, but it is a tiny blip in these things like these things can change and they can change dramatically. And that I think has been a very powerful reframe for me to like, to see that, yeah, the way in which we operate today does not have to be the way in which we operate tomorrow. Yeah, we, when you say we, I, I presume you mean Western culture in the United States or first world nations? Society. Mainstream. Yeah. I mean, yes. Western dominated like society. <laughs> so. I'm trying to, I, I'm working on my next book and my editor comes back and is like, it'd be useful if you could put a name on what you're saying by like our world today. Well, it's very hard because like there's a crap ton of consumption happening in China and that's not considered like Western society. So it's not like, I mean, obviously influenced by Western like Western culture. So I have a hard, I equally have a hard time identifying that. So I would say it's like the society in which I existed. If you come up with something really catchy, let me know so I can use it. Okay, well, I'll keep you posted. And <laughs> <laughs> you let me know too. <laughs> Oftentimes I ask at this point, uh, do you intend to keep doing this? And, and is it leading to other things? I think you kind of talked about that, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you intend to keep doing it? Is yes. it leading to other things? Uh, absolutely. I will definitely keep composting and then, you know, really trying to, use this new space as a way to explore other ways to expand that mindfulness. Will you come back and share if, if things come up that would be useful for the listeners? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up or anything you want to say to the listeners? I think we covered good ground. I'm really happy that I had, I don't know if I would have made this switches, like if I didn't know that I would like have to come back and check in with you. Like that actually was very helpful because it was that accountability measure that I think was important and helpful for me. Yeah, this, this photo method is very like designed to <laughs> that last piece of, of talking yes. again is accountability <laughs> and there's various steps inside it. I'm glad it worked. I'm glad it worked and that you're smiling about it. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and also before wrapping up, can you say a bit more about the book and how that, how have things gone since we last spoke. And should the listeners buy it and, and, and read it? They should buy it. They should read it. It's been going well. The uh, FT named it um, one of their uh, best books of the year. So it's been, I think it's, I'm pleased that it's gotten attention in like in mainstream sort of like the FT is not the place I would have thought I would have gotten accolades. It makes me feel hopeful that, th- that we are moving in a more thoughtful direction and that, you know, we're not alone in thinking about these things. 
yeah, I've been excited about that. I hope that it is contributing in some way to progress both within the apparel industry, but really the point of the book is that the apparel industry is sort of a metaphor for how industry writ, writ large operates today. And I hope that we're on a path to serious change because we need it. Well, congratulations on the FT. And you said it kind of not dismissively, but like as an odd thing. But I think, did we meet through Vanessa Friedman? I think she was there. She's now the Times fashion critic and she was on this podcast. And I think she, her move into fashion came through FT. I'm not sure. Yeah, she was at the FT before the New York Times. That's right. And I didn't remember that that was how we connected. I forget. But I also think that now I think of FT as like fashion, I don't think fashion powerhouse, but fashion aware. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think there has been not fashion aware, but just like more, it wasn't on the fashion side that I was surprised, just more that like, it was on the like FT McKinsey list. I was like, McKin- like I was definitely not thinking McKinsey would like endorse the book, <laughs> but just like that, it shows that institutions are thinking more fundamentally because like the book is a, becomes a critique of neoliberal capitalism. So it like, you know, it gets at pretty like, meaty issues about where we are in society and sort of what the common, like what your average company is working on now and that it shouldn't be. So that, that was the part I think that I was pleasantly surprised by. Well, I'm glad to hear. Well, Maxine Beda, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Josh. It was so nice to check in with you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.